My name is Aaron McManus, and you are listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. I am here, joined by my father, Erwin Raphael McManus. How are you doing today? I'm doing so good. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Austin St. John? Doing good. Argentina won, so I'm happy. Oof, spoiler alerts. If you haven't watched, then the World Cup's almost probably over, so <laughs> you should. Our team, Argentina, 3-0. Beautiful game. I don't know if the world is cheering on Argentina, but I think the world is cheering on Messi. I don't care what the world is doing. The world <laughs> has one choice, and the choice is Messi. Yeah, I was very happy. Um, he, he was the entire difference. I mean, he, he was the instigator on in all three of those goals. Um, it, it, it was really beautiful. It was incredible to watch. It was amazing. Argentina is playing incredible. Okay, so breaking news or not so breaking news. Uh, we have a few things that have been going on in the world. We should talk about it, yeah? Yeah, we've been waiting for at least um, a week to talk about Brittany Griner. Let's talk about Brittany Griner. She's just been released from Russian prison, where she spent the last just under 10 months. And the U.S. trades her for Victor Bout, the merchant of death. A Russian arms dealer. Were you laughing at that? But it's pretty serious stuff. If if you look at it, one, you know, we're we're so happy she's free. We're so happy she's home. You're saying we? Yeah, I think I think Americans as a whole are happy she's home. Happy she's free. I think good people are happy she's home. <laughs> I, you can't say that the people. Who, okay, no, no. Okay, I think you gotta. I think you gotta watch that language because I don't think people are. I don't think anyone's mad she's coming home. I think everyone's happy she's coming home. I think people are upset that we traded someone whose nickname was the Merchant of Death. It seems an inequitable trade. That's for certain. I think a lot of people were hoping that Paul Whelan would finally be brought home, who's been held for several years there for espionage. And, um, of course, I guess we deny that that's um, a legitimate um, verdict, but let's say it, it is legitimate. Um, I don't think anyone's denying that Victor is a, um, a terrorist. Um, and No, no one's denying it. He, he's the merchant of death. Right. So it, 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 it does raise incredible political questions in terms of um, will Russia and other countries endanger American civilians because, you know, Brittany is a civilian. I mean, she's a pro basketball player, but she's a civilian and she wasn't there for any political military or um, subversive reason except to play basketball. Right. And, um, you know, held with really dubious charges that were, she did not meet the criteria uh, for the criminal arrest that she was um, found guilty for. She, well, she was found guilty of having like, Point two something grams of CBD liquid. Like yeah, it wasn't cartridge. even a gram, right? No, it's, and, no, it's but it's, I, it's I think ridiculous. the technicality they used her on was was transporting it. That you're not allowed to transport drugs of any amount, and because uh, now now you're in drug trafficking. But you know, I mean, it was really just a pure uh, political technical, you know, technicality to try to leverage her arrest to get what they wanted, and, and they did get what they wanted. And it, it does like make us politically look anemic or powerless that they were able to get who they wanted released, um, who was clearly a criminal, and us not to be able to leverage in any way to get um, one of our own out who was risking their life for America's safety and well-being. So it's, it's a challenge. And I do think we need to be really aware. Wow. Don't I mean, don't go to Russia and do anything that could in any ways indict you or implicate you. And maybe even, I wouldn't be surprised if they would set people up. I mean, put things in people's suitcases. So I'm like, it's probably not the number right. one vacation spot right now. No, it doesn't make sense. And it, it, it you know, I, I'm not one of those people who thinks that this is her fault. I think she had a moment where, you know, she probably didn't even think of it probably wasn't even like a thought she had it was probably just like oh i have a vape pen and this is you know there's cbd in it and it's not that big of a deal um it's not like she was i think people treated her like she was carrying kilos of of weed across the border no she was taking something that is legal in a lot of states in the united states and is something that's very very small and i think much less harmful than a lot of things but that's besides the point 
you you look at the political ramifications and it it seems like we got taken advantage of in this moment in time. And it makes, I think, our president look weak. It makes our country look weak. And, you know, I, I, I've oftentimes kind of paralleled it with, you know, how, what, you know the, the very classic cliche statement that Christians will use, what would Jesus do? And I think the reality is that I think this is, this is the act. We, you know, it's, it's, it's getting the person who deserves to be free, freed. You know, and what? There's no question we did a good thing. We did a good thing. Yeah. We did a good thing. And I think we did a good thing for Americans. I don't know if we did a great thing for all Americans who are in jail in Russia. It doesn't seem like we should have traded the merchant of death for Brittany Griner, WNBA star. Um, yeah. But I wanted to ask a couple questions about it. I mean, I'm sure you have thoughts and I want to hear your thoughts. But I, I've, I was driving. Actually, I wasn't driving because I haven't been driving. Well, I was driving. I was driving someone else's car. And I was thinking about... Uh, just the reality of like the the value of human life mm. and that lives we're you know we believe we're created equal we believe we're created in the image of god we, we believe all believe all of these things but the reality is that not all life is equal and in this moment you look at it and you go was it does it make sense to trade someone who is obviously at the hands of whether you know he's funding it or providing it he's providing death and destruction to people around the world to terrorist groups, to countries who should not be getting, you know, weapons. And we're trading that person for someone who's very civilized and peaceful. And does that make sense in a trade? Does that make, is that equal value? Are these human lives the same? Is it even wrong to think like that? Yeah. I find myself going like, that's not a healthy thought, right? I'm not, by no means do I think Brittany Griner's life is less valuable than Merchant of Death. Yeah, I actually think her life is more valuable because she's a better human being. <laughs> yes. And, and, yeah, she, yeah, she has a, she, I think she has a daughter and I think she has, she's married or has a girlfriend and, you know, she, she's, married. she's human. Yeah, I think that the question becomes, um, you know, if you look at it from a more utilitarian perspective, you saved one life from imprisonment, but this may actually have caused um, an endless number of lives. Um, uh, to be killed uh, because of the nature of who that person is and his expertise. And that's, that's always the, the difficult question. That, that's why being the person who makes those decisions is one of the hardest jobs in the world. Yeah, and, and frankly, if she didn't have popularity or gain popularity through the WNBA and their massive um, really activism on her behalf, I don't know if she would have ever um, been set free. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you could, you, you look back and there was another rap, there was a, there was another guy, a rapper who was imprisoned or I guess jailed, arrested in Stockholm during, during, um, Trump's presidency. And he spent two weeks in prison and then got him out. Right. But he didn't trade for him. No, he didn't trade for him. He called him. I think he called the, the, the minister of, of trade uh, in Sweden and said, we'll never trade with you ever again. If you don't release Asa Rocky. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like someone who would have little to no inherent value to his like immediate political, you know, uh, career, but he made sure an American got home. Do I like Trump? No, not really. But it does show you, I guess, the difference in strengths in this situation. It also shows you it's helpful to be a celebrity <laughs> because it does. If you have some level of celebrity, uh, you can get um, political advantages. And um, and treatment, and that's true no matter what party is in place, right? Um, you know, because if it had been the Republican Party in place, I think they would have been just so much backlash to uh, maybe unfair treatment of celebrity. And but because it's the Democratic Party, I think that people aren't really um, looking at it through that filter. But the truth is that if it was me or you, Aaron or Austin, uh, we better learn how to speak Russian because. We're going to be in that jail the rest of our life. Call me Sergey. <laughs> it's over for me. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be in that that Russian work prison. There's yeah. no way. There's no way I'm getting out of here. Maybe what will come out of this is that now people know Paul Whelan's name, and I think most Americans were completely unaware of the fact that this man's been in prison there for several years. Completely. And uh, maybe this will raise awareness, and hopefully, will cause our government to be more proactive in his release. How do you work with Russia in, on any level um, when 
they're willing to manipulate political force this way. Uh, I just don't understand it. It's really, it's a really troubling situation. Anyway, I'm glad she's home. I'm glad she's free. And, um, and those are the realities of life. And anyone who thinks that decisions are made fairly or equitably or easily is just not being realistic about the way the world actually works. Okay, so closing that out, happy Brittany Griner's home, happy for her family, the best wishes, praying that I imagine what she went through in that prison could not have been enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, praying for their family and hopefully things get better. Yep, yep. Yeah, I'm glad that episode's over and um, wish everybody well. All right, let's keep going. So me and you haven't been on the podcast one-on-one in a while. What do you mean one-on-one? We, we have this other person that just like, Keep stealing the the spotlight, you know? So are you, are you saying that Austin's not a person? <laughs> Austin never talks on the podcast. He's here and not here all at the same time. Talking about we're missing Brooke Odom today. Where is she on the East Coast with her family, Austin? She is, yeah. They're visiting family. We miss you, Brooke. We love you, Brooke. We love her. But it's good to hang out with you, Dad. It's good to have some time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just, you know, I, 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 um, I love to hear the interactions between you and Brooke because I feel like sometimes you guys are coming from the opposite ends of the universe. <laughs> I got a bone to pick with Brooke. We got some drama, Brooke. When you come back, it'll be like uh, UFC. All right. And Brooke, when we come back, we're going to talk about something called an image management score. Yes, we will. Um, but so my image management my, my image management. No, we're not going to talk about today. We're not going to talk about today. We're going to wait for Brooke to come back. But I want to know about me. About me. <laughs> Well, all right. Uh, everyone listening to the battle ready on a scale of one to 99, 99 being I really care about what people think about me to a one being I care, but I'm not going to be what you need me to be. I'm just going to be who I am. You got to like me the way I am. That was too um, complicated. Just give two options. I need to be loved. <laughs> or I don't <laughs> I've care. On, I've given up on you loving me. Oh, I think it's the, I, my, my three is like, I don't care what anyone thinks. I only care about like the 10 people I, 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 I see on a regular basis think. But you do care. I know you. Oh, I care. No, no. I, the only thing I don't like is, is what people are in my personal business, yeah. personal life. I don't like my personal life to be public. I like that to be private. I like some things to be private because so much of other lives are, so much of the rest of our life is, is public. I enjoy some, some part of this to just be, hey, let me live my own life. You know, no, but I don't, I don't feel like I do things for people that like me. No, I think the thing about you, Aaron, is that you are who you are and, uh, there's just nothing like pretentious, nothing fake about you. And, you know, people can know that, um, when they've met you, they've met you in every environment. And, uh, I like that about you. I'm friendly and I'm friendlier in other environments. (laughs) You know, I think you're friendly when you feel safe. Yeah. But yeah, this is genuinely never. Um, okay. Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree. What's the rest of that? I have no idea. Isn't that like an old song? <laughs> Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree. I, what's the rest of that song? I don't How know. lovely are thy branches or something? How right? lovely <laughs> are thy branches. <laughs> I think John. I Austin St. John. I got a Christmas tree. Did you get a Christmas tree, Austin? No, we have we have one we put up every year. It's white. We're 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 not very traditional. Oh, you, oh, you're a you're a fake tree person. Yes, we are. I Aaron, it's not a fake tree. It's it's a real Christmas tree. It's an art. <laughs> oh no, it's tree. very fake. It's. <laughs> what do you mean? It's it's like white. It's like not even green. It's like actually white with big lights on it. I'm sending you a song. So, Austin, is that a reflection of your soul? (laughs) I don't know. We've always had fake trees because uh, I had, like, really strong allergies growing up. So we could never do real trees because I was allergic to that the real tree. And then you're allergic to, like, the planet Earth? (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, yes. Grass, dust, pollen, everything. All of it. That's so funny to me. Oh, man. (laughs) I love Christmas trees. I would, if Kim would let me, I would create a forest of Christmas trees every year. 
and, my gosh. Uh, I love Christmas trees. Oh, this is amazing. I love Christmas trees. It makes the whole house smell wonderful. You got to water it. It's alive. There's lights on it. It's beautiful. First thing I do when I get home, because it's getting dark early, I plug in the Christmas tree. I, I let that happen. I love it. It's so nice. It's so nice. I love Christmas. What a wonderful holiday. And it's even a little cold here in L.A. Um, oh, you know, it, it is to me so amazing. And I know not everyone loves, you know, the World Cup, but just to watch the World Cup in this season of the year. It's been really special. Yeah. And I've been amazed how many Americans have been following the World Cup. So a lot many. of my friends have been. And even with the United States out, like it's uh, one of my friends who's um, Brazilian. The moment Brazil lost, the World Cup was over for him. He, you know, he would talk about the World Cup every day. And then once Brazil lost, he stopped talking about it. And, you know, I, I, I mean, obviously, I, I, I love Argentina, but I love other teams. Like, I, I just love watching teams play great. And so the World Cup just continues for me. And uh, uh, when Argentina won 3-0, to zero, I was just so excited. And we're, we're filming this before France and Morocco play. And so we won't know how that has played out. But if it's a France-Argentina World Cup final, um, that will be, I mean, an epic, epic World Cup. It's happening at 7, a, at 7 a.m. on Sunday. Mm-hmm. How dare they? These are Catholics. So the World Cup finals? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I tried, I tried to move the, the Sunday gathering to later strategically, but... Um, oh, you did. But I think what we do is we just like play it on the big screen until church starts. Ooh, yeah, that's yeah, that what we good to me. Yeah, we just say that's a Christmas ornament. Is that soccer? Because it, it'll be over before before church starts. It'll be over nine yeah. thirty. I'm I'm just like um, wondering how many people are shifting sports interests. Like you know, when you talk about cultures changing, you know, when I was uh, younger, it was all football and baseball. That's all that really America talked about was mm-hmm. football and baseball. Mm-hmm. And, and then um, really in the 80s, basketball started becoming more and more of a thing. 70s, 80s became more of a thing. And so then you had fo- football and baseball and basketball. But it was like football and baseball major, basketball was minor. Right, and, right, right. You, you know, and, and now you have soccer that's an emerging sport. And you have hockey that also has begun to – affect the American like cultural psyche. So I'm wondering like in 20 years, I'd love to do a survey on this. How many people think that in 20 years, basketball and soccer may be the more dominant sports over football and baseball. Uh, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how American culture changing will change what Americans actually are entertained by. Um, okay. So I have a question. We've been doing a lot of, we've been doing a lot of consulting lately with different companies, different businesses and different uh, organizations having conversations around like leadership and teaming and how to lead and how to team. And, you know, it started with communication in this masterclass that we put out, Art of Communication. And I know we've talked about it a lot in this podcast. And there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast who've joined us on the Art of Communication, that journey. It's pretty amazing. It's a, a masterclass course that we have online, theartofcommunication.org. But we've really turned it into something unique, I think, that's really special. You, we've turned it into this uh, McManus mastermind. This, this idea you know, of bringing businesses and leaders and leadership teams and sales teams and executive teams through this different personality and relationship training and communication training. But I, I was talking to some friends of mine. I'm going to keep it very vague because I want people to be able to feel like they can talk to me and not everything on the podcast. But friends who had like a, a unique situation in the office, um, in their business. And how did like move forward? And I was like, oh, you need to join us because we, we do this. This is what we're doing on the side. Um, but I, I was going to ask you this. What are a few things that can make or break a team, whether it's a lead team, a sales team, an executive team, on how to relate at the highest level with each other? Because you mentioned image score. You mentioned, you know, the way you see yourself. And I just spent the last week doing this like consulting training with one of your friends. And I thought it was wonderful. It was very intimidating. On the first day, I had like a full-blown emotional breakdown because <laughs> it was like putting up one gigantic mirror. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, like, what are some quintessential things that you do to help lead your teams? Yeah, I mean, the, the number one thing that comes to my mind is trust. Is that if you, uh, if you don't have trust, everything else just falls apart. 
and there has to be. How do you uh, build trust? Well, one, first of all, I mean, it sounds like <laughs> very straightforward. You have to be trustworthy and, uh, it, and, and trustworthy in a very concrete way. Uh, you have to be a person who makes promises and keeps them. Uh, you make promises to yourself, you keep them. You make promises to others, you keep them. You make organizational promises, you keep them. So, that, um, so when you're um, even casting vision, in, in a sense, is an inherent uh, promise. And, um, and so you need to be able to distinguish between what you hope will happen and what you're committing to make happen uh, as a leader. If all you ever focus on is what you hope will happen or what you believe will happen or what you're trying to, quote, the language of manifest into happening, you're going to lose all the credibility in your organization. But if you focus on the things you commit you will do, the things that you will make happen, you, you may not have control over the outcomes, but you absolutely have control over the, the process that you um, are willing to uh, step into and take ownership of. And I, I think trust is level one. And, and from trust come things like um, open lines of communication. Uh, I, I, I know a lot of organizations, and you've been a part of them in the past, Aaron, where they're very hierarchical. And so you only talk to your boss and you only talk to the right person in the system. And if you talk to anyone else, you're in trouble. And actually, um, healthier cultures are more dynamic. People talk to each other. They don't worry about hierarchical lines of authority or, you know, am I supposed to talk to this person first or this person first? Because uh, it, it's not about gossip. It's about problem solving. It's about idea generating. And so when one person feels free to ask another person to help them generate a better idea, or one person is talking to someone else, even in a different department, saying, hey, I've got this problem I'm trying to solve. Do you have any, uh, do you have any thoughts on this? Um, the more there's dynamic communication, the healthier the culture is going to be. If everyone has to talk to the boss before they talk to each other, uh, the organization is static and it will die. If, uh, if people feel there's an incredible freedom to be able to speak to each other, to dream, to ideate, and, um, and not worry about, okay, you know, is this person my boss? Am I their boss? It's just about, I'm just going to find the best ideas. I'm going to find the best way to solve problems, best way to create better solutions and move forward. And so I think trust and communication are, um, are really like at, at the core of creating a, a healthy uh, business culture. So what happens when, you know, maybe the trust is there, but you don't get along? How do you continue to work with people that frustrate you? Yeah, I think that's more common than it is rare, <laughs> you know, and yeah, I mean, because, most situations, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because when you're interviewing for a job, the whole group isn't interviewing you to see if they like you. You know, it's one, one person interviewing you to see if you fit the qualifications for that role. Right. And we rarely um, even try to negotiate the, the, the idea that I need to be hiring people who have a great chemistry with the team. They right. usually think, okay, this person can do this job. They don't think, oh, this person can't work with these five people. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I, I think that most people are work from the reality of I don't necessarily like everyone at work or everyone doesn't like me. Mm -hmm. I think that what you have to do at first is um, be really good at your job. Competency builds trust. Right. And, you know, and so someone may go, I, he, he just irritates me or I just don't like he just comes across cocky or, or I don't know, you know, he's not tall enough or short enough, whatever it is. Right. And, but when you do your job well, like if you ignore all the criticism, ignore all the critiques, ignore all the, uh, you know, the, the tension that's there and just do your job really, really well. Um, the people who actually, um, have integrity, you will earn trust with them. And because they'll see that you do your job well, you show up early, you stay late, you, you're excellent, you follow through. I mean, the, uh, the best way to win other people is for you to follow through and keep your commitments and do your job really, really well. And then make sure that you're a team player, that you're not just doing your job where you win. You're doing your job in a way where everyone around you wins. And, uh, and as you become a person who gives other people wins, um, it, it's amazing how people change their minds about each other. And uh, so you've, you've worked yeah. with teams who have, I think, very successful leaders, people who are super engaged, some leaders that aren't as engaged on the day to day. 
some guys who've never had a staff meeting before, some people who meet all the time. What are some of the key things that you find, you know, if people are going, how, how often is it, like how many meetings is too many meetings and how, how few meetings are too few? Like how do you build a company culture inside of an era where it, one, it feels like it's hard to hire people. It's hard to find new good people in the right spaces. Um, and when I think there's a lot of turnover, there's a high turnover where people are leaving their jobs and they keep moving to new jobs. How do you find good people and how do you keep them loyal and how do you keep them engaged? Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting tension. And I, this is a funny thing because, you know, with uh, you and Mariah working on my team, it's always a little tricky because uh, you guys are around me all the time, right. <laughs> you know, right, right. and, but uh, I actually think in an ideal culture, utilitarian meetings last about 15 minutes. Like the, the meetings that you actually need for workflow should probably last about 15 minutes. Right. The longer yeah. meetings are for inspiration and culture beating, uh, building. And, you know, and so it's like, if I, if I want to have a long meeting, I invite everybody to come to the house. I cook, we eat, we enjoy our time together. And, uh, and then we'll have like a, a small, um, you know, time of, of building into the team. Uh, but if you're going to actually um, create momentum, you cannot meet your team to death. You know, I've known some people, they just want to meet with their team one, two, three, four hours, and they just want to process and process and process with their teams. And they think they're building a team. They think they're doing great team building and their team is dying. You know, they, they're yeah. so terrified of answering the phone or responding to that yeah. text because they know it's going to be another meeting. And yeah. by the way, every hour your team is in a meeting with you is an hour they're not getting their job done. So yeah. you may be the biggest hindrance to your team being yeah. effective at their work. Yeah. And so I say, don't over meet about um, utilitarian issues, like what you need to get done. Make that quick, fast, succinct, and only as long as the person on your team needs you to give yeah. them clarity. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and yeah. uh, and then if you want to build a great culture, you got to build into your people. Yeah, you have to create joy, you create enjoyment, create happiness. I think you know, building a culture where people feel valued and seen and heard and are treated as humans that expands the culture tremendously. Um, making a person who goes to work, I mean, they're going to work, and then when they're at work, all of a sudden they feel like they're seen more than they're seen anywhere else. They, they feel like they're valued more than anywhere else. They, they, they actually have fun, you know, they, and they're able to laugh and play a little bit. They're going to want to come back work because it's the best social environment in their life. Yeah. And yeah. So, I, so I think there's an interesting tension there. Uh, companies that try to ex extricate all the human out of company, just get the job done. They burn people out and they kill people. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. Little nuggets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I always believed in an office-less society. <laughs> and and yeah. uh, long before the pandemic. Um, but when you're a technical expert, you know, when you're editing or when you're working, you know, um, with, with media or technology, uh, you spend a lot of that time behind a desk in front, you know, right behind the computer. So you have to find ways to pull those team people out from behind the computer so they can actually have human interaction. And, or they're just going to be so focused on their job, they don't even realize that they're burning themselves out. But one thing I find is that like, if I come to the office, because I'll pop into Mosaic's office and work from there next to Austin or behind Austin or wherever, and I can't get anything done because everyone's hanging out. You know, I like yelled at Carlos the other day. I was like, bro, what, what noise are you making that you need to be making? He's like, Poppy, I'm sorry. I make, a lot, I make a lot of noise. Austin was there. I was like, do you guys deal with this every day? And he's like, yeah. He's like, they just make a lot of noise. And I'm like, no. That was a quiet day. Now. And that was a quiet day. Like, I can't deal with this. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about, you're talking about all the artists. <laughs> I am talking about all the artists. But I'm an artist too. But I'm an artist that likes to get things done. Oh, I throw a little shade here. No, no, because it's funny because you have like the editing boys and the tech guys and mm -hmm. they all have their headphones on. They're locked in. They're not. Yeah. It's like you have to touch each other's. You have to like put your hand on a desk to get people's info, like to pay attention. But you have to but realize then, that we have people on our team who are both artists and musicians and high creatives. High and creatives. They don't create in a vacuum. 
No. If you put them in a room by themselves, they'll get they'll nothing go, done except get depressed. They'll go crazy. <laughs> and they actually, you know, there's some things that are actually best created communally. They're yeah. best created while people are hanging out together and talking together. And it's it, the other day I was working with someone who has a contract with Simon and Schuster for a, a book okay. and they've not um, been successful. They, they've, they've not been able to finish the book in a couple of years. And, right. and I said, first of all, you have to realize that when you sit behind, uh, you know, the desk, looking at your computer, staring at your screen and not writing a word. That actually counts as writing, <laughs> you know, that, <laughs> that um, the time you actually dedicate to be in your headspace, yeah. to think, to dream, to organize, to synthesize, to imagine, that's actually part of the writing process. And mm -hmm. most writers aren't successful because they think the writing starts the moment they put down the first word. Mm. And, and the, the writing starts when you begin talking to yourself about the content. It's the same way with workflow with a team. And just because those people are making a lot of noise, it doesn't mean they're making a lot of progress. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but it's crazy yeah. because Carlos can write a song in like three hours. Yes. And, so, it, but it and, comes out of all of this human interaction and human experience. He's making progress. You just can't see it. And, uh, <laughs> this is not, I'm not bad mouthing Carlos. I love Carlos. He came up to no, me because no, I, no. I also heard me yell at him. I was like, Hey, Poppy, Less, less, turn it down. Yeah, but like, even Poppy. though you like- he, goes, he literally goes, I'm sorry, you know me, I'm loud. <laughs> <laughs> but even though you wear headphones, yeah, you still process best with other people. No, it's very okay. true. If I'm alone, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm, I, I, lose, I lose all focus. I can't get anything that I need to get done. There are certain times I have to be like withdraw, but I like to know that there's a room full of people that I can go and access if I need to. Like I walked into the office today and there was a bunch of guys watching World Cup. And I'm like, this has nothing to do with my job, but I'm going to watch the World Cup and then go and work. <laughs> and, and Austin may have been in the back house with me as we we're working on the seven frequencies and picking up a little World Cup along the way too. <laughs> so, but how important is that? Because, you know, for me, like I, I had a friend ask me like, or say that, you know, like express, like, you know, the, like they love their company. They love what they do there. I think they, they, they act like an owner of what they do. And even though they don't own it and they're, you know, they're like, our office culture is bad. You know, we don't have anyone who's driving it. We have everyone who's driving it creatively. Everyone's creative. Everyone's driving it creatively, but we're no one's driving it on the day to day, like a general manager or like a operations person. And I was like, be that. And they were like, no, I don't want to be that. You know, and then I I gave him some of the tips that that we'll use about you know how to have meetings or you know start a meeting Monday morning, fifteen minutes, let it be eighty percent function and twenty percent coffee and donuts and ketchup, and then everyone just jump right into the, what they're doing for the day. And then Friday, last thing you do before you leave is just like a fifteen minute, you know, clean up, sit down, what's going on? Okay, everybody's out, and those little like touch points of engagement and human interaction make people feel like they're just normal. Yeah. And human and yeah. can bring and, and, and feel like they have like a resource where they can bring something to the table. Right. Yeah. In fact, yesterday I was um, talking um, to two of our team members and one of them was your sister, Mariah. And, and I said, um, I'd love for you to be the director of fun. But that, me and uh, Mariah don't work together. You, what? We're on, we're, we're, we don't work together, me and Mariah. I think clarification. Like, yeah. I don't work with Mariah. Oh, I just meant on the broader team, you know? Yeah, yeah, You mean like the family? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You both yeah. work with me. <laughs> I both work with you separately, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, so I said, hey, what we need is we need a direct, we need like a minister of fun, <laughs> you know? Like you have the minister of finances, minister of education. Yeah. We need a minister of fun. Someone who makes sure that our staff, at least once every two weeks, does something fun together. That our yeah. teams are doing something enjoyable, human, playful, yeah. yeah. So that, you know, so that we, um, in a sense, don't forget that yeah. these people were really valuable before we brought them on the team and they need, and we need to still see them as valuable once they're on the team. Yeah. You know, before we brought Austin on, you kept telling me, dad, there's this guy, this kid named Austin. He's awesome. You yeah. need to really meet him. You yeah. need to really think about bringing him on the team. And you, yeah. you were selling Austin to me all the time. Yeah, Cause I'm smart. I know how to get what I want. 
I'm smart. <laughs> I wanted someone to do video. I knew you needed a video guy. I, I sell. When people ask for things, I'm like, you're so stupid. When people ask for things, oh, I need this. Yeah, well, you should have been selling it for like the last three weeks. <laughs> I'm like, I, I know how to sell. I like, I drop, drop little things. Oh, yeah. oh man, who did this video? Austin did it. Who did Austin did it? Who's right, but what, awesome. one of the things I, I will note is that if you're a volunteer, that no, most companies don't have volunteers. That's true, you so, know. And uh, like, well, I would say that because when we work in church life, like yeah. a person is a volunteer, they're super valuable. The moment they come on staff, we go, okay, now you're on staff, you're on your own, get the job done. And we that's we, not that's not normal. Most places, it's like this is your job. Yeah. You're like, well, go find something to do. <laughs> I pay you now. Just go enjoy. Go find something. Yep. Let me know how it goes. I think in a company, though, when you hire someone, you should actually receive that as like a as a gift. It's not just oh, I'm paying them, and so they need to do their job. Uh, to me, it's like yeah, you're paying them, and they need their job, but they could do it somewhere else, and and they don't have to bring all their passion and energy. That's something that only comes out yeah. of love. Like yeah, if yeah. if you hire people and then just expect them to work out of obligation you're basically saying i want the bottom 79 percent of you if you hire someone right. and you make that person feel appreciated and loved and there's an environment of 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 passion and compassion and then you're getting the other 21 percent of them that's extraordinary and right. i i want an environment where i get everyone's volunteer time i get their creative juices i get i get what's generated out of their love and passion Right. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Huh. Okay. I have one more question. Let's just air out our dirty laundry right now. So I am someone who is inherently, I think, you know, I, I read The Artist and Soul. You are the artist and soul guy. You're the guy who believes that everyone is creative. I was very cynical. I said, I'm not creative. And you're like, no, you very much are creative. And now every personality test, every data analytics thing that I've ever taken is like, I'm such, I'm so creative and functionally creative that I'm almost worthless in the other side. Uh, Chris, Chris Duran texted me last night, dad, about like some, some like, uh, was it CEO, CFO job or like finance job available at his work? Like, hey, send me a LinkedIn. And I was like, hey, Chris, this means a lot that you could, you would think you'd offer me this role, you know, but I'm really not good at that. And I was joking. I was like, obviously everyone knows, like I'm not administrative. So you either do it or don't. And if you don't do it, I'm going to be, bummed and if you do do it i'm gonna be very proud and and you know but how do you i don't even remember the original aspect of this question okay for this how do you move so quickly being so creative and working on so many different projects because one of the biggest things that i have a problem with you is is that you work on i mean right now you probably have 12 to 15 different things that you're working on right you that's roughly <laughs> Yeah, and that's like, that's kind of counting your book that you just finished, but that's been like a, you know, a six month yeah. process. Except now I'm, I've gotten back the next draft. So now I'm editing the next draft. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 But like, that's a great example because you have that and you've, you know, you, you only yeah. spend like two months writing it or, or physically writing it. You've been writing it in your head for a while, but then that lasts for like six months, but you have probably six, seven other projects like that, that are just like stop and go, stop and go super heavy, super heavy, super heavy. And then nothing happens for six weeks because you're waiting on a response or you're waiting on a feedback or, you know, and so how do you manage that stop and go lifestyle? But really, how do you harness this ability to be so functionally effective? Because what I find is that when things are slow, I'm, I'm getting into trouble. I'm bored. I'm ruining my life. I'm, you know, whatever. I just get I'm getting anxious. And then when things are too heavy, I'm like having a freak out, a freak out. I'm having a meltdown. Like what's going on? And I do feel like I've, I've found like a plateau in that, that roller coaster of emotions, but you really work on, you know, I've, my biggest feedback to you is like, how do you do it? Like, I only want to work on three of your projects. I don't want to work on nine. <laughs> well, but I think how do you manage things. it emotionally? Yeah. Um, it, 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 it can be really tough. So I don't want to say it's, it's always easy. And, but I don't know, you make it look pretty easy, but I can't say like, for some reason, like work is never a source of stress for me. I, I can't ever think of a time in my life where the work product is to stress me. I'm always stressed by people. And, and so if I can manage my people's stress, I feel like I have unlimited potential. And um, 
And so what I found about workflow is I have the potential of being a terrible procrastinator. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the journey in between when I know I got to do it, when I start, that's actually the battle. Mm-hmm. Because once I, like, let's say writing, once I start writing, it, it it's hard work. At first, it's, you know, it, it just takes force of energy, but then it moves into flow and then it moves into joy. And then I'm like, oh, I can't believe I get to do this. Yeah. The hard part of writing is sitting down. It's like just disciplining myself to go, I'm going to the back house and I'm going to sit at that computer and I'm going to start. That's a part of me that feels super lazy. Like the, the feeling of laziness is right before I have to say, go. And I have to fight that feeling. And, but I, um, and, and then what I try to remind myself, I, I just love completion. I mean, I, I, I love proving it could be done. I love mm. proving that I can make this really good. And, and so I just keep like celebrating small wins. When I finish a chapter, I just celebrate. I finish that chapter. When you I do. You know, when You'll I, call me. Hey, buddy, I just finished chapter five. Yeah. I'm like, Amazing. How long how long's this book? 12. I'm like, <laughs> call me later. But you know, I don't know how to celebrate the small wins. I can for other people. How do I do it for myself? Yeah, people who don't celebrate the small ones don't usually get to the big one. Oh, you're, that's, you said people, but you're, what you're saying is Aaron. <laughs> and shut up, Austin, with that little eyebrow raise. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that, that one hit me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I love, for all the people listening, I, I love Austin. He's sitting right oh, next to me. The big win is too heavy for all of us. Oh. And so you have to like celebrate the small wins. And so I celebrate when I finish a page. And then I celebrate when I finish a chapter and, you know, and, and sometimes I break it down to words. Like every day I'll send a note, you know, to, uh, Elisa. So how many words did I get written? Cause my, my computer doesn't tell me I'm, she has to add them up every day and send it to me. And, and, uh, and I just know how many words. And if I'm working on another project, you know, even what like the seven frequencies, it was really you, Aaron, who challenged me and said, can you create a 15 minute free product for people that we can give away? And, um, yeah, then you came back with like the Bible of communication, (laughs) the new Testament, but that's like, okay, right. We can't give this away for free. We got to sell it because it's because you gave me um, a problem to solve or an opportunity to create by saying, Hey, we need a 15 to 30 minute giveaway. And, you know, and so in my mind, I'm like going, well, I don't want to give people away trash. You know me, I'm not going to ever give you something that's like second rate. No. And so when I started thinking about what's the 15 minute gift I could give to the world, I started thinking about what's the greatest thing I could create right now. And that's where the seven frequencies came from. Right. And right, right. so I think a lot of times what happens is um, people think, Oh, he's taking on this like massive gigantic challenge. It's really not. I'm just trying to provide the smallest thing. And then because I've committed to doing the best work I can, it ends up becoming something bigger. Right. Which to me is, yeah, is exciting. Yeah, it's really interesting, right? Like I, I think it's it's super, super unique. Um, yeah, and that's when I when I got the contact back for seven frequencies, I was like, oh no, this is another three or four hours. Like this isn't fifteen minutes. And but I, I did feel I felt like I, I I found our next product for art of communication. And I think it's a I think it's not a free one, but I think it's kind of a free one because I I was like you know, maybe you can't do this one because I think you've already done it. Like, what are all the things that I've begged you to tell me over a lifetime of how to like the, the quick route, the, 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 how to speak for dummies, how to communicate for dummies, <laughs> you know, but like, what, you know, and I was thinking this cause a lot of different courses and masterclasses will offer, you know, if, if you don't 10 X your business in the first 30 days, we'll give you the 10 grand back, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, we don't really have that. Cause it's like, okay, we taught you how to speak better and how to, how to really like organize your thoughts and really, and also to have an ideology to, to see the world in a unique way. We're not always the practical people. Although I, I find the seven frequencies to be very practical and, and art of comedy very practical. But I'm like, how do we do this? How do we, if we were to go, how to change, to effectively change and shift your communication ability from day one to day 30, how would we do it? All right. And I don't, I don't want you to tell me right now. I think I have some things, but I think, right. that's, I think that's the session that we do in the beginning of next year. And I think we should, we should offer the whatever the thing. I think we should give it to, give it away. Give that. All part right. So away. what is again? How to what? If okay, no, no. So 
how to speak better in 30 days. <laughs> how oh. to communicate more effectively within 30 days. Because all these people do these like 30 days or less. Like, we'll give you all your money back. I'm like, I'm not giving no money back. Like, you're in or you're out. Either like, because you have to sacrifice. You got to choose. You got to choose in or out. You got to red pill, blue pill it. But like, if we were to do something like, hey, how, does, how do you communicate better? Because I know all the little things that you have taught me to do over time like little OCD tricks and little like effective things was like, you know, the practical things, you know, ah, oh, we got to do that. I think that's the next thing. Wow. That would be a great 30 day journey, wouldn't it? Oh, that would be good. 30 day yeah. journey. You know, it's funny because 40 years ago, when I first started trying to teach people how to have conversations with strangers mm -hmm. and, um, um, I literally had a process that I would use and week one was just going up to say to, uh, hello to people. <laughs> oh, wow. And, uh, and I said, all I want you to do for week one is just say hello. Oh. And, Catch uh, me dead saying hi to a stranger. No, you know, just like when, you're, no when you way. go shopping. No, natural. No. When you get coffee. Like, nope. you know, when, you, when you're getting, when you order your cappuccino, just saying hi. And, um, and, uh, and then I'd say to people, or, or, now for next week, I just want you to say thank you. The people and and literally i'm just getting them to do the, the smallest thing and then because i was trying to add a spiritual dimension to it i said okay this week third week i just want you to go uh thank you so much uh god bless you yeah and yeah. Uh, and for a lot of people like they were terrified they would come back and tell me i couldn't i couldn't say god bless you i said but you would say that anytime someone sneezes it's like it's just generic That's so funny it, it's just the moment you know there are spiritual implications behind it you can't say the phrase yeah, yeah. And so I think there is like a way of doing a 30-day process that would help people take on basic skills to communicate effectively in life. Yeah. And, but I think some of it too is recognizing that, that there's some kind of like disconnection that happens between our brain and our mouth. And it's almost like we know what we want to say, then we can't get it out of our mouths clearly. Oh my gosh. And, I, uh, I, I, am the, I am the biggest example of fumbling the bag in conversations <laughs> i was at my friend's house the other day with two other guys and i'm like what i can't even speak english what am i saying i'm like my head isn't so like la la land half the time right but i think that there's also like a journey from the front of the head to the from the back of the head to the front of the head for me right. yeah because see if you don't know what you want to say there's no way you can say it clearly mm. <laughs> and so you you have to go through the process first of clarifying to yourself what is it that i'm actually trying to say mm. because you can't clarify how you're going to say it until you clarify what you want to say mm. so that's a part of like the journey you have to do the elevator you know journey from the inside of your head to what do what am i really trying to say and mm. then how do i want to say it okay one last question oh yeah because i have another idea all right. Because we've always, we've like, me and you, me and you brainstorm all of the time. We're always like, what, what if we do this? 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 And we were talking about, I think a while back, we we're like, I, I had said this thing, like, what if we create some kind of app where people can, where pastors and like communicators, like this was more for the church, mm -hmm. can subscribe? Because the, the big issue with pastors is, I think it's like, it's how do you speak on the same 66 books? for 52 weeks a year. And most people aren't speaking 52 weeks a year, but you know, if if you're if you're a youth guy, you might be speaking 52 weeks a year because you might not have any help. You might just be the only guy. If you are the main pastor of a small medium-sized church, you might not have any help. You know, that's I'm convinced that's why people have guest speakers. It's just like, "Good God, give me a break." <laughs> like, let me just not talk for one Sunday. You love talking, but I'm sure there were weeks where you're like, "Again? Can I do this again?" Absolutely. But you're kind of an idea guy. You you can come up with something out of nothing all the times, all the time. But I, I had talked about like, what if we did something in January? We did like a free like online thing, and we just gave twelve ideas for twelve messages. Mm, I love twenty twenty three. Like just, I don't know. Just I think that's ideas. a great idea. We should do that. And keep it keep it vague. Like here's the verse. Here's the title theme. Here's where you put some life stuff and here's what we would, this is the point you should try to make. That's pretty cool. I love uh, that. I don't know. Hey, I'm man, not we're speaking anymore, so it doesn't, doesn't help me, but. <laughs> well, you never know what the future holds. Oh, I do. Um, 
I do have, are we done? I'll say we're at the end of the year. Yes, we are. And we're about to launch into 2023. Three. Three. Tres. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. We're almost in in a new year. And so let's wrap up this year really, really well. If you listen to Battle Ready, let me encourage you to um, find some organization, whether it's your church or some nonprofit, where you make a really big, generous end of year gift. Yeah. And um, if you're a follower of Jesus, then do that through your local church or or Mosaic. If we're if you're not church. a follower of Jesus and you follow this podcast, go be generous. Yes, be give generous. To church. Give somewhere. Give to an organization. And if yeah, there's there's some really good ones. There's Charity Water. Yeah. There's you know Habitat for Humanity. Um, you know, there's there's just a lot of great places you can give. There's no yeah. excuse to not be generous. So if you if you follow Battle Ready, man, join us this Christmas. Be generous, give big, and uh, help people do good around the world. There's a lot of people who literally sacrifice their lives to make the world better. Mm-hmm. And when we give to those organizations, when we give through the church, we're actually partnering with them to do right. the good that we aren't necessarily doing ourselves in our own uh, personal time. There's a great place to land the plane. We are so grateful for every single person who listens and watches the podcast. We're so grateful for our Patreon. We have not forsaken you. We have some exciting stuff that we are cooking up. It's just been a crazy end of the year, so hang in there with us. Uh, When this episode comes out, we hope you enjoy the weekend and enjoy the day, and we will be back next week, the brand new episode. And I believe we're releasing the episode from London that we filmed in London with Al Gordon on the Patreon this week, so that's exciting. And, you know, and it's just fun. It's just fun. I love doing this. I love doing life together with you, Dad. Oh, you too, buddy. Hey, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to all you guys. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah to all my Jewish friends listening. And Austin, one day, I hope you you will get a real tree. (laughs) And one day, Austin. I'm going to drop off a little tree. Just a little. little. Love it. All right. All right. Bye, guys. See you next week.